0: The views expressed on Science for the People are not necessarily the views of this station, its affiliates, sponsors, or advertisers.
1: This week on Science for the People, we're talking about ideas of colonization and decolonization, trying to learn from our past, make real changes today, and speculating how we might avoid making the same mistakes in the far future. Welcome to Science for the People. I'm Rochelle Saunders. With me is Ryan McMahon, an Anishinaabe comedian, writer, and actor based out of Treaty One territory, known today as Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Since 2010, he has recorded three national comedy specials, and his newest live show, Recon Silly Nation, is scheduled to tour across Canada in 2017. He's the creator of the Indian and Cowboy podcast network and the host of three of its podcasts, Stories from the Land, Red Man Laughing, and Ryan McMahon Gets Angry. Ryan, welcome to Science for the People.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: So you created and run a podcast network called Indian and Cowboy. First, can you tell us a little bit about Indian and Cowboy and tell us uh, about a few of the podcasts that people will find there?
2: Sure. So actually today on the day of this recording, um, Indian and cowboy, uh, is two years old. So it's our birthday party. Um, we being two years old are still shitting our pants and, uh, kind of confused generally about the world. But, um, yeah, we're the world's only indigenous, uh, podcast media network. So we uh, produce original. Uh, podcasts and we co produce uh, uh, existing podcasts. So, podcasts that were already being made out there in the world, we've, through partnerships and agreements, uh, have agreed to be sort of like a placeholder for those podcasts just to amplify the work that was already happening. So, on the network, you will find uh, 10 podcasts in total all made by Indigenous people from around uh, the world now. We have um, a new podcast coming. This is actually breaking news, so uh, you got the scoop.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs>
2: <oops>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's some, there should be some bells and whistles. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, we have a an Indigenous uh, podcast coming from Norway, uh, from uh, Sami territory. Uh, it will be coming to Indian and Cowboy at the end of twenty. 20- uh, sixteen and um yeah so we are we are amplifying indigenous uh, independent indigenous voices and um, you know uh, as you know as a podcaster all pod- podcasts are niche anyway but uh, we get <laughs> we get super super niche so some of our shows are like really like Métis in space is a is a, a, a one of our leading shows on the network but um, you know, it's, this is the niche, it's sci-fi from a decolonial lens. So if you enjoy sci-fi and decolonization, uh, and red wine, by the way, because the two hosts drink wine and uh, talk shop. Um, if you enjoy those three things, and you'll probably enjoy the show. So we're just having a lot of fun being creative and being original, and, uh, you know, finding our voices and, and making space where where space didn't exist before.
1: You know our audience well, sir. Uh, Métis in Space was the first one I started listening to, so good choice.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, and, <clears throat> you know, never mind that, uh, you know, Molly and Chelsea are, you know, smart and funny, and really, like, um, you know, when they told me about the show, uh, admittedly, I, I just didn't get it. I was like, uh, <clears throat> so but it's an audio medium, so you're going to watch a movie, then talk about a movie, and they're like, Yeah. So, okay let's see how this goes and of course we know how it's turned out um, yeah there's there's a, a, a an ever-growing audience you know for that uh, for that uh, show and you know I, I would like to <coughs> pardon me in this third year really try to get the network to a place where we are able to offer, you know, live tapings of these shows, you know, really um, this third year is all about development and growth. We, we have the foundation under us now. We've, you know, purposely grown really slowly, and um, uh, so, it's not to t- take on too much work, so it's not to, you know, uh, overshoot the, uh, the goals with the limited resources that we do have. But this third year now is all about um, sort of uh, looking at new opportunities and finding a way to, you know, grow these shows, but, but also, you know, develop audiences and, and do some, uh, some new things. So, today on our second birthday, we're, we're looking ahead already and uh, we love what we see.
1: There are definitely stories and conversations happening on the Indian and Cowboy podcast that I, I haven't heard anywhere else. And I listen to a lot of podcasts.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's the beautiful thing about the medium. You know, as you know, as a podcaster, it's it is empowering. It's it's um, it's creative work. It's fun work. It's rewarding work. It's. Um, I think it's important work, you know, it's it's uh, to 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 be able to access conversations or voices that maybe aren't a part of your community. That's a big part of life, you know, sometimes we get really lucky and you have a chance um conversation with a stranger at the uh, at a subway stop and it really makes you reflect and think and you think, you know, damn it, I don't have enough of this in my life. Well, I think podcasts are a doorway and and you know as we know iTunes is full of these things there's there's tens of thousands of them and they're doorways and you you know if you choose to walk through these doorways um you, a lot of the times you'll be surprised at what you find we're trying to really you know create <clears throat> create discourse and 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 a voice for you know forward thinking um uh, indigenous folks that that really want to take you know, take their their ideas and and put them forward as as uh, good pathways forward here in Canada and, and beyond. And um and you know as I said you know so far so good. Um some of our shows are you know runaway hits. Some of them uh don't haven't found an audience yet. Um as I said we're you know we're working on uh, little to no uh, budget at all. And so it 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 really does become about you know, your, your publishing schedule and, um, you know, being, keeping the ball in the air, if you will, you know, uh, trying, (laughs) trying, trying to keep the audience interested on social media, trying to make sure they remember you in a sea of other podcasts. Um, so we're, we're slowly getting to where we, uh, think we can go. Uh,
1: There do seem to be a, a, growing number of podcasts that focus on issues of representation and identity, um, in particular surrounding issues of race. I'm thinking there's a particular white-black ra- particularly in the white-black race relations in the U.S. And um, while we do seem to be talking more about racism in North America, we definitely still aren't talking much at all about colonialism and the indigenous settler relationships here. The podcasts on your network are some of the very few places where it's talked about explicitly, openly, and at length why do you think the subject is still largely ignored, even within social justice circles?
2: Oh, boy, you're trying to get, you're trying to blow up my Twitter stream here now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I just think, I just think it's really hard to look in the mirror. I think that, um, uh, what did I tweet the other day? Whiteness is going to white. So, you know, (laughs) you just, it's just really hard to, to take a step back out of your own lived experience, um, and really understand how intimately connected your life as a settler Canadian or as an immigrant to this country. Um, it, it's really hard to understand how you benefited from this horrific past and, and the ongoing uh, colonial structures that are, are alive and well t- today in Canada, you know, prop up um, these power structures. And so it's really hard to talk about because, you know, you're going, well, f- man, I love my summer home. What do you mean? It's on stolen land. You know, <laughs> 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 does that make me a bad person? Well, yes, it does. Unless you invite me there for two weeks out of the summer. Um, but you know, it's just a really hard conversation. And, and I think, uh, you know, uh, the timing is, is really important. And for, for, our luck, we've managed to um, come at a time where we are starting to have these conversations, and we need to be gentle with each other. You know, we need to be patient. Um, I can tell you, you know, that one of the, one of the podcasts that I, I uh, produce is Ryan McMahon gets angry. Well, that's kind of my <laughs> my non gentle place, but in my real life, I, I really do um, try to make time and space for. Uh, really understanding um, uh, where we're at today in 20, 2016 and being patient and understanding that we have a long way to go. And, and I choose to be, I choose to be you know proactive and try to create this space for everybody to uh, hear these voices. And, you know, I think that 30 or 40 years from now, they're going to look back at this time and they're going to write books about it. And we all get to say that we were, we were here and we were a part of it. And that's, um, you know to me that's pre- that's pretty exciting
1: So two topics that come up regularly in episodes of Indian and Cowboy podcasts are reconciliation and decolonization. And I had heard a little bit about reconciliation before finding your network, mostly from following the Truth and Reconciliation Commission work in Canada and the stories about residential schools. Um, But decolonization was an idea I was mostly unfamiliar with. Um, For people who are still unfamiliar with these terms, reconciliation and decolonization, what do these mean?
2: Well, reconciliation would mean, you know, to reconcile would be to make a relationship that was once good, uh, good again. And so that's the <clears throat> that's the problem with the with reconciliation today. Is I would argue relationships were never really good. I mean, you can go back to the fur trade and you could, or you could go back to first contact, and there there weren't ever really any good relationships i mean you know this country any country that is founded on on capitalist morals i think is on shaky ground and the fact that we were founded by a corporation uh, the hudson's bay company as a country should tell us that um you know in business somebody wins and somebody loses and unfortunately it was us the indigenous people that lost and um You know, with reconciliation, it's about rebuilding relationships to make them good again. And um, I argue uh, through the entire season, uh, the entire last season of my podcast, Red Man Laughing, that um, reconciliation is completely impossible without the return of land. And so if we're talking about reconciliation and we're not talking about decolonization, which actually centers land and, you know, indigenous people's connections to the land... um, if we're not centering land in reconciliation, then uh, we're just—we can't program and service our way out of you know um, child welfare crises that target Indigenous youth. We can't um, program and service our way out of uh, 1,800 missing and murdered Indigenous women. We can't program and service our way out of um, you know not having clean drinking water. Fundamentally, the structures are are broken. And so, you know, we we need control of our lives, and that begins with free, unencumbered access to our traditional territories. And unfortunately, when we look in our backyards, we see a big mess in our backyards. You know, we see towns, we see cities, we see universities, uh, we see industry, we see pipelines, we see mines. Um, those are those are in our backyards. So it's a really complicated issue, and it's a complex issue. But really, at its core, it's about reconciling that relationship between indigenous people and the last 150 years and if we can start to really be honest about that then i think we 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 have a we have a future um the the discourse around reconciliation right now is is frankly it's it's garbage um because it's because it's not centering land and you know it's um politically you know the political will to do the right thing really has to be there and that will come from the citizens that will come from us. Um, so that's why we've put, we've really put our voice, um, in that direction. We really tried to be clear about, you know, we want to be on the front of this conversation about reconciliation because there is good work happening in regards to reconciliation. Um, and we're trying to highlight, uh, highlight that good work in terms of decolonization. You know, it's, not, uh, the, the brilliant Eve Tuck, who's, a um, at the university of Toronto, she's a PhD there. She says decolonization is not a metaphor. So it's not, it's not some airy fairy artsy fartsy idea. Decolonization is about, you know, um, Reconnecting Indigenous Peoples to their worldviews, their ways of life. Um, you know, it, it centers uh, land, so Indigenous Peoples' inherent connection to land, medicines, animals, plants, air, water, um, decolonization, uh, what I argue is more important than reconciliation. Um, and in fact, I argue that, you know, all of these resources we're putting into this reconciliation industry that is being created should be redirected to um, decolonization efforts. And, you know, to decolonize a country, I don't know if that's entirely possible, but we can decolonize the minds. and colonization doesn't just affect indigenous people. You know, colonization is a poison that that infects all of us. And so it is really looking at our relationships and. Um, Uh, both past, present, and future in terms of um, the the types of healthy relationships that we we need to build uh, in a fair and equitable and just uh, society. So, uh, decolonization is, I mean, this may be a whole separate episode for you, um, but it is, yeah, it's a big conversation, and it's an important one.
1: So, even when we're trying, where are we failing? What kinds of traps are we falling into?
2: Well, we're just being too nice. I mean, you know, uh, it, it was interesting when I heard you use the word settler, um, and because that's not a word people are comfortable with, right? Uh, for whatever reason, we don't want to use that word. Um, but uh, that's what happened. People came here and they never left. So they settled here. And then the argument, well, f- Canada as a country. Well, yeah, it's 150 years old. Uh, and it's, you know, until the the Constitution was repatriated in 1982 it was a nation state. So really, like this, this country that we call Canada is in its infancy. And You know, I was at a a building reconciliation conference with 350 of of North America's leading scholars, uh, university uh, presidents, provosts, vice provosts, board members, so they could come and uh, talk about reconciliation. And so things like mandatory course requirements and the relationship between the university and First Nations and territorial local governments, like it was a very big, 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 big conversations, you know, uh, that had to be had at this conference, at this conference. And I said, you know, one of the presidents uh, got upset when uh, I used the word settler on the mic. And and I said, well, you know, like, really? This education around reconciliation begins with understanding settler colonialism, and you can't talk about settler colonialism if you can't use the word settler. So I think what we're getting wrong right now is we're afraid to um, unsettle ourselves, and what I mean by that is I need to unsettle myself too. You know, I need to decolonize my heart, my mind. I need to do the work that I need to do as an indigenous person to come with a good heart and a good mind to help contribute to this in a good way, right? <clears throat> I can't stay angry. I can't stay blaming the government. I can't I can't have nightmares of Stephen Harper anymore. <laughs> you know. I, I I need to move forward in my life so I can so I can live in a good way. Well, Uh, The the settler population Canadians generally need to be unsettled as well. They need to understand how uncomfortable True reconciliation will be because it is such a big project. So if you're not willing to be uncomfortable if you're not willing to be unsettled um, This is gonna go nowhere fast Um, We also have to be honest uh, And and I think that you know reading the 94 calls to action is a good start reading the executive summary of the TRC is a good start But uh, reconciliation is about your own personal connection to Canada's past. We're we're throwing a 150th birthday party here in July, and um, I'm I'm, I'm asking Canadians, what are you doing on July 1st, you know, to celebrate Canada's 150th? Because I can tell you unequivocally, we're not celebrating Canada's 150th. We are going to take a really long, hard, critical look at what it means for Canada to be turning 150. They found, you know, tens of millions of dollars for their fireworks displays, but they can't find a couple million dollars to fund indigenous languages. So uh, there's there's real problems and um I think I think that's that's where it's at. We need to be really honest and be willing to do the the hard work. You know, that that is necessary. And and the final thing I'll say, and and I think it's really important to say is this is not your fault. If you're listening to this and your ball is clenched and you want to fight me and you've Googled my website and tried to add me on Facebook and everything else and you hate me, it's not your fault. Right. The thing that we have to understand here in Canada is that, yes, this information is new and we're we're learning about the horrors and everything else. You can't throw your arms up in the air and go, well, it wasn't me. Well, yeah, no, it, nobody's saying it was you, um, but we're we're all you we've all. Canada has benefited from these horrors, and so it, it is calling on all Canadians to speak out and to, to look in their own neighborhoods, their own families, to check their privileges, to, to look at their own their own biases. And you know, it's it's a, it's a big project, but it's a worthy project. And and for me, you know, looking just using Canada's birthday as an example, um, the next 150 years, I hope, is a better one for you know, my daughters, my, my potential future grandchildren, their grandchildren, uh, I hope we can build a, a, a good society where doing the right thing, doing the good thing becomes the, um, b- becomes the mandate of, of Canadians. And uh, we like to claim that we're good and that this is a, a, a utopia, but uh, we certainly feel differently in many of our communities.
1: I know as I've been learning more about these topics over the last couple of years in particular, I've been reliably surprised and shocked by how much I don't know about Mm -hmm. my own country's history. And I think in Canada in particular, I just keep asking myself, like, why do I know more about the U.S. Civil War than I know about Canada's history? Why do I know more about Japanese internment than I do about residential schools? And trying to wrap my head around all of the stuff that was never taught to us or that we just don't know that's been erased is mm-hmm. is a big challenge
2: it sure is and 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 let's just like let's just look at that like just what you said is a huge problem right i mean we should certainly be demanding more out of our education systems and we should certainly be looking at curriculums and i know what's happening now because of the trc but my question is had it not been and we know and maybe your listeners don't know so i'll say it the TRC, the seven years that it existed, was paid for out of the pockets of residential school survivors. They were awarded a large civil suit um, in the Supreme Court uh, against the government of Canada, and they put all of that money into creating uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, an unprecedented move. So it is residential school survivors themselves, literally, that gifted us with the TRC and its mandate and its work. When we think about the gift that residential school survivors gave us in, 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 uh, giving the TRC its mandate, you know, we, we really have to look at, um, at, at our priorities, you know, and I think, uh, rightly so in the 94 calls to action, those priorities are set out, uh, very plainly, uh, very clearly that, um, that education is a big part of, of what has to be fixed and what has to be changed. And, um, like i just said at that um, building reconciliation conference universities colleges high schools they are they are slammed with this right now and um, yeah it's a it's a big 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 challenge
1: so are we making progress anywhere that you can see where are you starting to see hope and positive momentum
2: well these conversations are happening right and and i think that generally um, there is a lot of progress and i could tell you you know, five years ago, um, I would have never imagined, uh, a movement like we're seeing today, uh, grow, you know, that, that really focuses and honors, you know, residential school survivors, um, uh, lives, you know, um, both indigenous and non-indigenous people are really able to really able to connect with the idea that we need to, we need to, we need to do the right thing. And so I think generally that, that, that concept, that idea, is is there, and um, that's you know surprising. Um, I come from a long line of residential school survivors, and it feels good to know that people are listening and 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 have an awareness of of what it is that we've gone through. Um, it's just that we have to do the work. We can't skip steps. So I think there is good work happening, uh, you know, generally uh, out here uh, in Canada. But we can't skip steps. We can't say uh, the TRC has done its work, so now it's time to move on. That's not reconciliation. Is not recolonization, right? We are not going to be asked. To come up to speed now to pull up our bootstraps to to get with the program now that the trc is done in fact it's the opposite now we really need to slow things down and work at other people's speeds because you know these records these residential school survivors have have uh you know sort of re- re-traumatized themselves have told their stories and, and they're out there for everybody so now the healing work in our communities is really starting to begin and we have to, we have to go slow. We can't skip steps. So, uh, I think as long as we're doing that, the, the positive momentum will, uh, will continue to build.
1: So would you tell our listeners where they can find your network and all the wonderful podcasts on it?
2: Yeah, just go to indianandcowboy.com. Um, if you want to uh, check out our shows, you know, our full lineup is there. We're on patreon.com. You can search out Indian and Cowboy there if you'd like to support us monthly. Um, we are, uh, on all of the internets, all of the Facebooks and everything else. Um, yeah, and we have some exciting things coming in the fall. So. You know, I, I'm I'm excited. It's uh, it's our birthday. I'm about to release our business plan to the world to show everybody what we have built over the two years and some of the ideas that we have. Um, we're really trying to be transparent because I want people to see the potential in this and anybody with deep pockets to to pay for it. <laughs> 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 because let's face it, they have the land and I just have a little dinky piece of internet land. So. Um, so any, uh, <laughs> any philanthropists, uh, cause there must be thousands of ph- philanthropists that listen to your show. Um, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. They're welcome to come and, uh, and chip in, but, uh, on a serious note, we're, we're, yeah, we're working hard and uh, all of the shows, all of the information is at Indianandcowboy.com and, um, uh, Yeah. I think, I think starting with the website is a good thing We're we are launching an app, but that is still, we're still just testing it and it's, it's probably six months away uh, before we really start to roll out what that's going to look like. And that'll be complete with, um, you know, writings and podcasts. And we're really, um, trying to create something fun with our app. Uh, to uh, continue to find new ways to amplify Indigenous voices. But uh, like I said, that's that's a slow and painful process, so you'll be able to find that uh, sometime early in 2017. Uh, But failing that, we'll see everybody on the Internet.
1: Ryan, thanks so much for sharing your time and ideas with us today. I hope Indian and Cowboy continues to
2: grow. Uh, I appreciate uh, you taking the time, your interest, and uh, I wish you the best of luck, too.
1: And if you want to learn more about Ryan McMahon, his podcast, or the Indian and Cowboy Network, we have links available for your clicking pleasure in the show notes for this episode, which you can find on our website, scienceforthepeople.ca. After the break, we have Desiree Schell moderating a panel from Skepticon at Convergence 2016 this past summer about how we can learn lessons from our colonial past and make better decisions in the future as we explore the stars and expand our reach.
0: Science for the People is a weekly radio show and podcast that explores everyday life from a scientific perspective. We are a member of the Skeptic Network, a collection of blogs, podcasts, and video content focusing on science and critical thinking. To find out where Science for the People airs near you, or to listen to past episodes, check out our website at scienceforthepeople.ca. You'll also find links to support us at Patreon, to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter, and to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. And now back to the show. Hello, and welcome to colonizing colonization. Thanks very much for coming, everyone. Uh, I will be acting as your moderator today. I am Desiree Shell, host of Canadian radio show Science for the People. Um, thank you. And this uh, this presumably will end up on air, so don't say anything you don't want your family and friends to hear. Um, how we're going to do this is uh, we will start talking for a little while. We have some questions we want to get through, and then we will open it up after that to the audience. Uh, so, when you do have questions, try and make it as brief as possible because our poor panelists will have to paraphrase in a much shorter form whatever you said so that they can answer it. So, uh, for the benefit of our audience members that are listening on air. Mm-hmm. So I would like to introduce our panelists. Let's start um, right at the end. We have Cassandra Phoenix. She wrote her thesis on the effects of colonization on Maori culture, sorry, Maori literature in New Zealand and Aboriginal storytelling in Australia. She is fascinated at the ways that different cultures push against boundaries and where appreciation crosses the line into appropriation. She likes the possibilities inherent in liminal spaces. I love that.
3: How can I follow that up?
0: (laughs) (laughs) we'll, We'll get there. And then we have Emily Fink. Emily is a forensic anthropologist and science communicator. She is particularly interested in how culture, history, and biology come together to shape how we view the future. Her day job is as a QA analyst for a software startup, so she spends a lot of time dealing with the shortcomings of the tech culture that pushes so much of our dialogue about the future. And Celia Yos is a visual artist by training and profession with a very broad scope. At this point, her career has spanned everything from colouring books to decorative lamps. And she's also a landscape painter interested specifically in human-altered landscapes and the way that we impose ourselves on the land. Thanks for being here, everyone. So what we don't want to talk about today... Is, uh, is basically to list a whole bunch of historical examples of how humans have been deeply awful to other humans and then say, so let's not do that in space. So, uh, but what we do have to do is, is actually talk about where we think our problem areas are, are going to be and what that reasoning is based on. So let's start with land and property rights. How have we screwed that up thoroughly? How have we not screwed it up
4: thoroughly? Uh, yeah,
3: I'm thinking of American colonization and the push towards the the West and the sort of assumption that because um, other cultures that were indig that still are indigenous uh, were not seen to own their own land because it just was not a function of ownership that that the colonists understood. So yeah, that that is a part of the, the way that we screwed up royally
0: and what were the repercussions of that
3: Well, the repercussions are that we have indigenous cultures who've lost a lot of their own uh, history uh, and are marginalized to very very small very useless patches that were ceded to them by by the government and lots of just bitterness and a loss of population and and consequently just history.
0: This is going to be a super depressing panel.
5: For reference. <laughs> yeah, and I think going forward in space, we really need to be careful to make sure that we don't assume that just because we land someplace and don't see anyone we recognize as being alive or just at the moment, that it's free for the taking because that America is a good example, is a mistake that we have made many, many times.
0: All right. Uh, labor or exploitation? This is a really euphemistic way of saying slavery. <laughs> <laughs> so, capitalism is great.
5: Uh, all right. So, um, an issue that we have with global trade is that, and this would be just expanded if we were interplanetary trade, is that you have a certain cost of labor. Just you have to pay people unless it's slavery. But that is as the cost of goods. And then we have different um, labor groups that have different co- like, different costs of living and different expectations how much to get paid. But they're competing against each other if a company has the ability to pay less for the to get their goods made, they probably will. So that has bad repercussions. And I mean, I work for a company that does overseas manufacturing. So,
4: And historically, when you combine um, the combination of exploration, corporate interests, and labor issues, you end up with really, really bad problems because the The corporations are the ones funding it. So the corporations can say, we brought you to this new place. We now essentially own you. Even if it's not technically slavery, it's still a condition that can be pretty closely analog to it. And that increases with increasing distances. So we would have a huge problem with, say, an asteroid mining field owned by... Company X that now has these people that they brought out there and they are far away from government oversight. They're far away from labor activists um, and they they would have a very good chance to exploit their people.
3: I don't have anything to add to any of that.
0: (laughs) How about resource depletion? Am I depressing you already? (laughs) <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> um,
5: I mean, so so again, that would probably be one of the reasons why we would want to colonize space is for the resources. Like, I mean, I know in other panels, asteroid mining has come up. I mean, on one hand, there was probably no one living out there right now, maybe some microbes, but on the other, yeah, you end up with that situation where. Mining is a field that traditionally has some problems with safety issues. Um,
4: and well, uh, who's seen the who has watched the expanse in here? The expanse has an excellent excellent example of how um, resource depletion doesn't necessarily have to mean complete resource depletion. We are taking everything, uh, ruining it. It can be that you're taking the resources and making, taking the resources back to where the money is. So taking the money back to earth, back to whoever's funding it and leaving the people who are actually in that area laboring to create those resources without many resources. I'm positive.
3: All I have right. nothing to add to that. I'm a, I'm more of a social sciences. Oh kind no, of we're getting to you. We yeah, got okay. a whole bunch
4: there.
5: Basically, we all, we all think that this will go really, really well.
0: <laughs> okay, how about uh, environmental effects? We haven't talked about that yet.
5: Well, if you don't have to live there, you don't have to worry about the environmental effects as much because they don't affect you. So that's another issue with going to a place, taking the resources, and then leaving.
3: Also, um, can I yeah. just add if you're not like native to the environment, you're an invading species yeah. mm-hmm. and very bad for it, technically, usually. <laughs> and I've, I'm trying. Grab
4: the <laughs> yeah. Okay. What um, uh, was I going to say? Um, also, we need to take a long view, particularly when entering new environments, uh, even if they aren't already inhabited by people, we can create huge problems for our future when we've basically left something, a nuclear wasteland, where we've taken resource A through massively destructive technologies. So it's not just environmental environmental depletion now, it's environmental depletion for the next 500 to 1,000 years.
0: And that leads directly to the health effects that we seem to have on <laughs> every other culture we ever come into contact with are horrible we we make it We make a habit of introducing new and exciting diseases to populations, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep. yeah, I'm thinking of the smallpox blankets. Everyone's thinking of smallpox, yeah. Okay, so uh, let's let's talk about the cultural areas because I think this is where we're going to get into some neat stuff. What, what might we expect to do to other cultures based on what we have already done to other cultures?
3: Uh, stampede over them and put our flag where theirs was. If they have a flag, if they don't have a flag, they have no country.
4: <laughs> yep. We are really bad at acknowledging other forms of culture, too. So while a group of people have a complete functional society in their own way, uh, Europeans are really bad at saying, oh, it doesn't look like ours, so it must not be a thing. Here, have a flag. Now you're better off. You have Christianity and a flag. Yay. (laughs) And
5: tea. And tea.
4: Tea Tea is important.
5: Yeah. I mean, even the more... forms that look more benevolent. It's like, oh, we will help you. We'll bring Christianity to you. And this will make you better and more civilized. That doesn't necessarily, well, that probably is not
3: actually going to end well. Well, they were already civilized to begin with. Right. They just weren't recognized yeah, as being right. civilized.
0: So Cassandra, can you speak a little bit to what sort of the longer term consequences of that are? Because I know you studied literature, mm-hmm. Mary literature. So, so what kinds of things can that have in not an immediate way?
3: Um, well, in the Maoris are a special case because they were one of the cultures that like really fought hard and were sophisticated enough to try to write treaties and that sort of thing. And they only found out later that they'd gotten totally hoodwinked and gotten a different language, um, treaty <laughs> and signed away things that they had not intended to. Um, and so, but the long term effects of that, that sort of thing in a culture is that you uh, as the, they were trying to rest their own stories back from the colonization of, of the stories that they were trying to tell. And with the Aborigines, their culture was much more oral culture. And so learning to write that down sort of, I mean, it's it's the sort of the question of the, the gaze essentially changing what it's looking at. So like you have a culture that is oral stor- storytelling and then you have to learn the language language of the colonizer to write your own stories and so therefore you're not writing your own story really so that that is like one of the long-term effects
0: all right so i think it's obvious what the impacts are on a on an oppressed culture but how about on the oppressor are there are there actual downfalls uh because of the colonization process to the the group of people that are actually doing the oppressing well once
4: you've started out with a hierarchical culture where you've already said this particular group is not worthy of respect, of rights, of their own resources. It's very easy to elide that into other groups. So if you look at the groups that are historically oppressing, they're also historically oppressing people in their own groups. And gee, I'm not sure if we can think of any groups in our culture that are oppressed, even as nominally part of white Western American culture.
5: Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, pretty much that. It's yeah. I mean, it's a very complicated thing because it's like, all right, basically Europe, mo- most of the today's world is Europe's fault. But I mean, if you go back to the, like the individual countries, like within those countries, there were a lot of internal problems. There was a lot of cl- class problems, and part I don't have a coherent point. Never mind. <laughs>
3: I got nothing. Okay. That was, that was all pretty succinct. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you guys look already sad. It's,
0: uh, I'm sorry. Okay.
3: <laughs> was this meant to be like an uplifting? Yeah, no, <laughs> there's no way
0: to make no. this optimistic. None. Yeah. Um, but I guess, so in order that we, we don't have the conversation about, okay, all those things are bad. Let's not do that in space. Could it actually be worse? Like, could it, could it, right, because that's my concern, because we are, at least when we did this uh, on Earth, there were groups around uh, to see the problems inherent in those kind of conditions and to call it out. We had people that could actively protest that were part of other cultures, but we might not even have that because these planets are so far away.
3: Well, also, and it's, it's, it's bad enough when you're recognizably, at least physically human to another human being, you know, what if you're not recognizing that there's a sapient being in front of you because it doesn't look like what you're used to thinking of a sapient being, even an inferior sapient being.
0: There's going to be even less potential oh, empathy, yeah.
3: and also if, just less chance of finding common ground on which to meet. Mm-hmm. So yeah, everyone will be just sort of automatically inferior.
5: Yeah, I mean, like, what if we find aliens that look like rocks that look like rocks that we want to mine,
0: and it takes us a hundred <laughs> years to figure out that they're actually sentient? <laughs> what What did they do in that Star Trek episode? Does anybody know?
4: Yeah, the um, the Spock, Sp- yeah.
0: We don't have yeah. a Spock to mind yeah. meld with That the is rock. our problem. It's a super big problem. <laughs> okay. So being all, all this being as it is, um, are, is there any kind of practices or policies that we can start to put in place now so that when we do get to that point, when we are, uh, thinking about colonizing other planets, let's say that, that we are bound to maybe not do the things that we're doing right now? Or is it a certain mindset that we should be starting to get into that we that we weren't in before as a people,
3: I think that it would be very helpful and probably impossible to just institute the assumption that um, you're the superior race. Going into where whatever situation it is, you know, just leave yourself open-minded to the possibilities, and that is not something that's historically ever, I think, happened. <laughs> I was going to say that. That's <laughs> I like easier that. than I it's mean. Saying. But going forward, I mean, if we were going to change something, that would be the thing that would be the the most important to change. Would be that like you are not. You may be the apex predator on your planet. But you're not, you know, you're not Jack on the other planet. Well,
4: we need to have both cultural and um, codified law changes. And I think a lot of what the more social justice oriented people who are working on Earth to fix racism, sexism, classism, ableism, that's going to have a huge impact on how we would potentially interact with another group. Because we're really not good at that with humans. Like, we're really not good at that. But we need to be good at that for ourselves. And that would also have the additional help of, well, maybe we won't mistreat those rock creatures.
5: Yeah. Yeah, we need to actively try to not screw over other life forms, which... Again, historically, we've done a very bad job of what actually makes me worried is like, yes, we could codify these things into law, but what happens when you have a corporation going out and exploring and they get into trouble and they're like, oh, government, come help me.
4: I have lots of thoughts on corporate exploration. (laughs) Both good and bad. Um, Corporate exploration is absolutely necessary in our, in the way our, um, financing is set up right now and it's a it is a huge possibility for a force for evil in our world when you have a corporation that has both lobbying power and is far away from other people to institute effective oversight you get huge huge problems even with the best of intentions you'll get like, just look at what um, mining companies do now. And mining companies are not far away. They're in the middle of Kentucky. That's two hours from where I live. And it's really hard to have good government oversight um, and human rights practices in companies like that. So, yeah, we're going to have to put um, a lot of oversight. There's going to have to be active labor activists. There will have to be people in any future colonies who are going, you can't do that. I'm gonna tell everyone now.
0: So are we, are we really saying that there's literally no way to just make Haman, like humans be nice? Like they there are is that what we've decided as a room? It's just yes. like this is gonna happen. Yes. We are awful. You there's can't really legislate niceness. Yeah. Oh, that is tragic, you guys. <laughs> All right. Do we want to take some questions now? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right there.
5: Um, so the question was, if we have technology that could benefit another culture and they don't, is it then our right? Or should we then use our technology to help them? I would say we still need to ask permission and try and explain exactly, like, give them all the context and all of exactly what we would do and let them decide. I mean, because they may have some reason to not do this, even if it even if we think it would help them.
3: And even if we think that the reason that they're not doing it is going to eventually cause their extinction, it's not our job to, you know, you know, if they say no, and they have all the information at their disposal, then, yeah, I mean, got to respect the culture's decision.
0: Consent still counts in space. Oh,
3: yes, yes, oh, yes.
0: No means no. So the question is, what if governments on other planets are also incaring or uncaring and incompetent?
1: Mm-hmm. 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 Or,
0: mm-hmm. Exploitive. or exploitive yeah. thoughts. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
5: okay, so did you, you rephrase? Okay. Yeah, that was close. Enough. All right. Well, how are we going to determine that? And you would still somehow need to talk with the individuals you worry about being exploited and get their consent, because again, we've. I mean, look, we've invaded countries because of human rights violations, and it only, the human rights violations have only gotten worse. So that is one of the big mistakes I think we need to not repeat in space.
4: The question is how, um, how, if it's humans who aren't actually trying to exploit for wealth resources, they just want to go live somewhere else, expand the human species? How do we do that in a not damaging way, in a way that wouldn't damage the ecosystem of the, the planet we're going to? And we probably really don't. Um, invasive species are really good at being invasive and really bad at not damaging things, whether it's locusts or humans.
0: Well, I mean, this This is a problem yeah. across every species. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't imagine that it would be any different for humans. Mm. Heck, look at kudzu. <laughs> They're totally kudzu. God, ahead. Uh, was there... There was one back there? Yeah. I, okay, so we...
4: I'm super excited about space unions. <laughs>
5: <laughs> oh, the question was... Oh. Um, <laughs> is how do we keep corporate money from taking over space travel and yes space unions or again strong government oversight
0: is there literally any other way that's I'm, I'm interested in in hearing from the audience are you guys more creative than we are because obviously we think we're all screwed regardless <laughs> like we have to rise up before we get up there in order to protect other species yeah. that's all I'm seeing yeah. here so we overthrow Second <laughs> I would right. totally vote for that. Yeah. We yeah. Need to, yeah. <laughs> that we uh, paraphrase uh, anyone? Uh, no? I don't know if I can no. get
5: all that. No. But I mean, yeah, that is actually I had another really depressing thought. It's like, so okay, our Earth is not united. So what happens when the U.S. and China and Russia and Europe all are trying to colonize space at the same time, and they all want to be the first ones to do it? That, again, that's one of the reasons why colonization got screwed up on the planet is all the European countries are competing with each other for the resources in the land.
0: No, I think the idea of a, of a model UN for, for these kind of issues makes a lot of sense. But I don't know if anyone's noticed how the current UN is working. Though. I
3: was, yeah, yeah that's constantly. what I was considering. Certain parts of
0: our society
2: are right. above the law. So what's <laughs> the difference? Whether this council exists or not, you know?
0: If, if we're actually advocating for revolution in this room, I'm super yeah. in. I would like to
4: note we are all on a communist watch list now, so...
0: Okay, I always was. Yeah. It's fine. Um, right right at the back.
4: Uh, the question was a comment from the audience that... Um, speaking of corporate exploration versus government exploration, uh, that a lot of the research and technical innovation is coming from the government and not from the corporation. And that just, it's not true now and it's not true in the history of exploration. Governments tend to work through non-government contractors. So you get the British government working through their, their um, corporate or their, well, they weren't corporate, but they were, Companies, You get the, the Dutch East India Company, you get the Spain and Portugal sending out subsidiary bankers and investors. You're not working directly through the government. You're generally working through uh, some sort of corporate infrastructure, um, which I'm not advocating for. I don't enjoy it. But I also, our government's really bad at funding basic research without an entire government shutdown look at the Orion project at NASA right now.
0: Can I just paraphrase? We're awful to each other. <laughs> yes. So why wouldn't we be awful to another species? And I think that's the question, yeah. right? Is And we've had this conversation. I think this is my third panel that we've <laughs> talked about this exact same issue. We cannot be trusted. Nope. So it's... Know, well, at, at this point, yeah. you know, the idea that should we be traveling anywhere because Mm -hmm. i don't i think we're worse for other species as uh, more so than them being bad for us well
3: i'm reminded when i was i don't read a lot of hard sci-fi um mainly because i'm not scientific um but what i read the three-body problem and the most interesting part of that to me was that what if instead of you know the united states getting contacted by an interstellar intelligence it was cultural revolution China and how badly sideways could that go wrong for everybody because that that's that the cultural revolution China had a totally different agenda and so that's a part of the problem is like you know everyone has an agenda and so we have a different agenda everyone has a different agenda so which agenda is the primary agenda so yeah I mean what what would we say who who is going to be the one who gets to have the most important agenda
4: uh, the question was what would be uh, saying we uh, went to a planet that was entirely empty uh, what would be the effects of creating a new civilization from scratch in a vacuum literally in space
3: <laughs> and go i it would really depend on who is creating it yeah. you know I, you could i mean there are many books about that kind of thing mm-hmm. many many different yeah. um people. I mean, you could have like the Vatican city with money sending, you know, its people up to create a society. And what kind of society would that look like? Well, is that a society that I would want to live in? No. Um, so I guess that would really depend on who you're sending up there. I mean, that makes all the difference. Yeah. I mean, yeah, everyone's bringing their agenda. You know, that that's, goes along with all the, you know, baggage and luggage. This Ideally. is
0: one of the things that we were discussing in the panel previous to this, <clears throat> is who exactly are we sending on this these colonization projects? Are we sending our best and brightest, or are we sending for all intents and purposes, disposable people, because we're probably going to screw it up good the first time.
3: And how do we curate that, which is what we're talking about in the, it takes a village, 80% speed of the light of like, how are we going to curate that group of people that we send, you know, who gets to decide and you know, that brings it back to eugenics and other horrible things. And so, yeah, I mean, there's, well, we just made it worse. Yeah. let's. let's. And and who says our best and brightest aren't
4: the disposable ones, if they're the charismatic people who can get the story out, okay, go die on
0: Mars. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Whoa. <laughs> we
0: just got back again. Okay. um, Right there. With the mustache. So, uh,
4: so to paraphrase the question is, what, what do we need to put in place to um, make sure that we don't create a cla- cataclysmic, unintentional altering of a system. Um,
3: I don't actually think that's possible because no. you'd have to land on the planet first to decide what it was that you would have to protect against, and therefore you're already introducing the alien um, aspects to the environment. So you'd have to not land at all, ever.
2: But and, should we, but should we uh, you know, take further measures in sending our probes or satellites uh, that we're doing
4: now. Well, we we already take those measures. Uh, They're imperfect, and they're only to the extent of what we can actually do, but that's always going to be the limitation. We are going to change a system just by being there. That's what we're going to do, and all we can do to to prevent that is basically what we're doing already, which is keep it as sanitary as possible, keep it as sprayed down as possible. Things are going to get through. That's what happens.
0: Um, We're dealing with about 17 levels of what if. (laughs) And we're never going to be able to account for all of them. But we can, at very least, as we do our best. And we have these the kinds of conversations that are happening in this room right now. And I desperately hope that people in positions of authority are having well, them, because Na- we don't mean shit, my friend. NASA has
4: a person in charge of planetary defense for exactly that. Not to defend our planet, but to defend the rest of them from us.
0: Thank you. <laughs> okay, one last question. Right at the back. So the comment was,
5: "Life is prolific and is competitive, and will destroy something just by existing." Well, I mean, the thing is, since I mean, the fact that we have this capacity to have this conversation means I think we need to try to negate the negative effects as much as possible. I agree. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) That's pretty.
0: Okay. So what? What did we decide today? That uh, We're awful and we should stay here? We should, uh, when I showed up at this conference, I was pretty sure that I wanted us to go to space, and now I'm pretty sure I don't think that's a good idea. I want
4: us to go to space. I just want us to continue talking about it.
0: Yes, yes. that. I want Jean-Luc Picard to go to space. I want Jean-Luc Picard to go to space. All right. Thank you for for everyone who came today. Thank, thank you. you.
1: That was a recording from the Skepticon track at Convergence 2016, which took place in Bloomington, Minnesota. Thanks to all our wonderful panelists, everyone who showed up to watch it live, and to the organizers of both Skepticon and Convergence who made it all happen. Also, a very special thanks to Kevin Eldridge and the Flopcast, who helped us record panels at Convergence when our equipment failed. You're our hero, Kevin. Seriously. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week on Science for the People.
0: Science for the People is produced by Rochelle Saunders and edited by Ryan Bromsgrove. Helen Quivelon is our publishing liaison. We get research help from Josh Witten. Coordination and additional behind-the-scenes support comes from the Enthusiastic Skeptic Network team. Our theme song was written and recorded by Fractal Pattern, and its title is Binary Consequence. Science for the People is listener-supported. You can find us on Patreon, where you can support us with monthly donations in any amount. In return, we regularly post special patron-only extra content and after-show casual conversations with guests. This show is created in partnership with the Skeptic Network, a collection of blogs, podcasts, and video content focusing on the intersection of science, popular culture, politics, and social justice. You can find out more about Skeptic at Skeptic.org. The show is hosted by Rochelle Saunders and me, Desiree Shell.